Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you here. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Today, I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Romans, chapter number one. Romans chapter number one is where we're at today. And uh, we're preaching through the book of Romans. And um, not quickly, but progressively. And we're walking through the book of Romans, sort of verse by verse and line by line, so to speak. Now today, we're going to take a bigger chunk of scripture. And somebody said, amen. And so uh, I want us to look in Romans chapter 1. And we're going to begin, before, but before we read, I want to say a few things and pray, and then we'll begin. We'll begin with verse number 24 today. Now I want you to listen really closely as we start today. Today's passage is very difficult subject matter. And it discusses issues that elicit strong emotions. The passage that we're going to look at today has been abused by many. Amen. It's been used to bludgeon and to promote hate. It's been used to justify ungodly attitudes and behaviors. It's been used to hurt, not to heal. It's also been attempted to be reinterpreted in light of cultural norms. But today, can we agree on something? Let's let Scripture speak to us. Amen. Not our prejudice. Not our preconceived ideas. Not what others have said, but what God says. Yes, Lord. And not what the world says. Amen. No other subject in the teaching of Scripture cuts against the grain of the agenda of our modern culture. The attempt to normalize and celebrate immoral behavior. I ask you today to listen closely. I ask you not to resist truth. And I ask you to accept God's authority in his word. Amen. To focus, I ask you today to focus on the hope for all of us in Jesus Christ. Amen. And I ask you to hear the love of God that he has for all of us. So this morning, I invite you to pray with me before we open God's word together. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we humbly ask for you to speak to us out of your word. We lay aside our prejudices, our bigotry, our disdain, our political ideas. And Lord, we pray that today we might see the truth and our own condition without Christ and how that this passage speaks to every one of us. Oh, Father, today, we're listening, and we ask your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. We need you. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The passage that we're going to look at today begins in verse number 24. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we approach this word again, once more we ask for your help. We thank you for the truth. And Father, we ask you to speak as we know that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. The first point today is we're continuing the message that we had last week. And so the first point is the Gentile's rejection of God's revelation. This is the Gentile rejection of God's revelation. Now God's wrath is being revealed, notice in verse 18, it is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So what we have here is a situation where God's righteous wrath is, out, is being poured out against everyone who doesn't live rightly in his relationship with God and is living wrongly in his relationship with fellow man and because of his wickedness and unrighteousness, he's trying to suppress the truth, the things that can be made known about God. And God is speaking even through his creation. This is what the argument that he made, and we talked about this last week. He says what known is, what's known is about God is evident to them. Verse 19, God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, has clearly been seen in creation of the world, and people are without excuse. They do not honor God. They have 
God is speaking through creation. You see his glory, his power. You see his kindness and his goodness and his, his taking care of us in his creation. But instead of giving themselves to this light that God is offering, they are rejecting that light and it has a searing consequence in their own life. And they did not honor God or nor give thanks to God. That's exactly what he says here in this passage. They knew God, yet they did not glorify Him or show gratitude. They didn't worship Him or they were not thankful to Him. And the result of that is that they became futile in their speculations. Their hearts were darkened and they gave themselves over to idolatry. And so the very thing, first point, is that they are without excuse. It is inexcusable their rejection of God's revelation. It's absolutely inexcusable. They are without excuse. Notice in this passage of, of Scripture the exchanges that they are making. Verse number 23. It says they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling, resembling mortal man. So there's this exchange, there is this, 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 this inexcusable act that they're involved in, and they are without excuse. They, God is speaking, but they are rejecting him. Leon Morris said, God has left an imprint in the entire created universe. Paul's point is that seeing people do not see. Perceiving they do not perceive. Because they reject the knowledge of God, they have thrown away the key to it all. William Barclay said, In the world we see God. It's Paul's argument. And it's completely valid. That if we look at the world, suffering follows isn't it true? Break the laws of agriculture and the harvest fails. Break the laws of architecture and the building collapses. Break the laws of health and your body suffers. Paul is saying, look at the world. See how it's constructed. From a world like that, you know what God's like. And so the sinner is left without excuse. Secondly, it's intentional. Not only the Gentile rejection of God's revelation, it's inexcusable, but it's intentional. They have intentionally rejected the truth. Notice in verse number 21, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Their thinking became worthless. Their senseless hearts darkened. They claimed to be wise. They became they did not glorify God. They did not worship Him, and they did not give thanks to Him. They refused to glorify God. What they indeed did was they judged God as unfit for them. In verse number 28, they did not think it worthwhile. means that the idea there is they judged God. And when they examined God... They said, God's lightweight, God's false, God's not true, God's unacceptable. I reject God. 
and his revelation. They did not glorify God. Secondly, they didn't give thanks. They were not grateful. Ungrateful people will wander far from God. We're ungrateful. Are you grateful to God for all he's provided? Aren't you grateful that we're going to have sunshine today? Aren't you grateful for the warmth of the sun? Aren't you grateful for the rain that he brings? Aren't you grateful for the fall flowers? Aren't you grateful for the beauty of the trees? Aren't you grateful for the food that he's given us? Aren't you grateful that we have clothing to wear? I'm grateful you all are clothed. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the health that I have. I'm grateful to be alive today. I'm grateful to have friends, aren't you? Tell your neighbor, I'm grateful for you. Grateful to whom? Grateful to God. Are you grateful for beauty? Anybody love beauty? Things of beauty. I'm grateful for the place that I live and the people that I was born to. I'm grateful for my parents. I'm grateful for the privileges that I have. I'm grateful for the blessings that God has given me. I'm grateful for the goodness of God. When you focus on him and on his love, it just changes everything. But instead, we focus on what we feel like we've been denied. And that leads us in a downward spiral. Indeed, the first sin in the, first, in the garden, the women saw the tree that was good for food, for the light for the eyes, desirable to make one wise. She took it, ate, gave to her husband also. He ate. It was this trickery. They exchange, notice the exchange that is found here three times in their intentional rejection of God. First of all, they exchange the glory to God for idols. In verse number 23, they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. This is what idolatry does. You, you, first of all, you begin to worship a man rather than God. Then you worship images that look like men. And then you worship, it denigrates down, down, down. Some have tried to teach, and I, sociologists have tried to teach this, philosophers, and, and not all philosophy is wise. Lots of it is foolish. R.A. Tory call it philosophy. Some teach that the world began polytheistically and evolved to monotheism. But this teaches just the opposite. It begins with monotheism. And it devolves into polytheism. The downward, downward spiral. They began to worship idols. And idols, anything that takes the rightful place of God in your life, You look for to that for life. You look to that for satisfaction. You look to that for meaning. You look to that for fulfillment. You look to that for purpose. You look to that thing for peace or joy. An idol supplants God. I reject you, God, but I'm going to find it in this other source. Secondly, they exchanged the truth for a lie. And this is 
They're selling. They're trading. Terrible trade, isn't it? When they exchanged. They exchanged glory to God for idols. Secondly, they exchanged truth for a lie. Samson traded truth for a lie. The lie was the delights of Delilah were better than the Holy Spirit's power in his life. So he has sex with the enemy rather than intimacy with God. The truth exchanged truth for a lie. King David traded truth for a lie. The beauty and the delights of another woman, another man's wife, rather than integrity as a king, rather than a man after God's own heart. He became an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer. Satan is a liar and a thief, and the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And Satan doesn't love you, he hates you. And he schemes against you, and he dresses up sin as life, but it leads only to death. He is selling poison disguised as life, giving sweetness. But it's poison. The third exchange is the natural for the unnatural that is found in this text. Same phrase is used in verse 26. Women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural The word natural here, this third exchange, gives us wrong ideas. When you got a wrong idea about God, it leads to wrong behavior and ideas about sexual morality. The natural here is physikos, the word, the Greek word, used twice. And the unnatural word is paraphysin, it is against nature as you were created. And here's the argument, but it's natural for me. I'm made this way. It feels right to me. The judge of what's right or wrong is not you, but how God's designed you. And God has designed us. All of us have been damaged by the fall, all of us. And all of us are twisted by sin, and it's affected all of us. And all of us struggle with desires and lusts and proclivities. All of us do. And all of us are sinners and perverted in these ways. And all of us need redemption by God. The text says that we've willfully turned toward the lie and rejected the truth, exchanged the natural for the unnatural. And God created you. Let me just say this clearly. God created you in the image of God. He made you in his likeness. And he created humankind, men. He created them male and female. One mankind, two genders, two sexes. You don't get to choose your gender. It's a gift from God to you. Yeah, but I get to choose my own gender. I get to choose my, I get to change my gender. 
Now, there are abnormalities in birth that happen. And, and those need medical care and attention. But this wave of confusion and, and seeking to cast off who God made us to be, to be something different, that is not natural. It is a lie. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Secondly, thirdly, it's indicting. This downward spiral and rejection of God indicts us. We're all guilty. And all of us have sinned. Secondly, God's righteous wrath is being revealed. Now, how is it being revealed? Man exchanges these things, said three times. But then God's response is God gives them up. God gives them over. God gives them over. God gives them over. In that wording, I want us to look at it, it's like pangs of sorrow. In every phrase, God gives them over. A.T. Robertson said, the sounds are like the sounds of clogs falling on a coffin. God gave them over. Someone rightly said, it reminds us of the prodigal son and his father. And the prodigal son was hell-bent to leave his father and the blessings of his father and the security of his home. When he got his wealth, he ran off to a far country. And the father gives him over. And lets him go headlong the way that he wants to go. And it was a downward spiral. He desires liberty, but he finds himself enslaved. He goes down, down, down into degeneracy. This passage does not teach when he says God gives them over, that God causes us to sin. No, he lets us go. C.S. Lewis said in The Problem of Pain, the lost enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and therefore are self-enslaved. He lets them go their own way, recklessly, destructively, stubbornly, resulting in spiritual degeneration. And this is the revelation of God's wrath. As a result, God gives them over. He gives them over, verse 24. Notice the first time he says it. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. Now, the apostle chooses sexuality to illustrate this downward spiral. And he says he gives them over to impurity. What is impurity about sex? First of all, Fornication is impurity. When you're having sex outside of the bounds of marriage, it's impure. Adultery is impurity. It's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's a rejection of God's authority in your life. It's, it's disloyalty to your mate, and it's damaging to your own soul. Casual sex is impurity. 
There's no such thing as, well, wait. I mean, there might be a such thing, but it's not morally right. They're friends with benefits. Casual sex. Prostitution. Pornography. These are things, that are acts of impurity, illicit sex. Den- it, it, it degrades humanness. It makes you less of a person. Sex is a beautiful gift from holy God. And it's to be between a man and a woman in marriage. Not your self-pleasure. Not power that you use over someone else. Not to manipulate. Not to reward. Not casual. It is for oneness. It is for loyalty. It's for trust. It's for learning about your relationship with God. It's about joy. It's about life. But illicit sex degrades your body. It degrades your humanness. And it objectifies other people. But sex in marriage enables it. It makes it beautiful. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, I told you it was not an easy sermon today. But it's true, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but a person who's sexually immoral sins against his own body. It's hurtful to you. Verse 19, Don't you know your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4, verse number 17, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous. They gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of sexual impurity with a desire for more and more. So God gave them over to these degrading impurities. The second time that he says he gave them over in Romans 1 again is verse number 26 and 27. For this reason, God delivered them over, let them go their way to disgraceful passions, shameful, shameless passions. The women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones, The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. In this very passage of Scripture, it says they became less than men and women. In the Greek text, it doesn't say men and women. It just says males and females. Females. 
I think it's some way that Paul is helping us understand we become less human in these relationships. They became consumed with burning lust. They exhibit a constant burning passion and sexual perversion. And it brings judgment into the life. It doesn't bring peace, doesn't bring joy, it doesn't bring fulfillment. Some of you are saying today, well, but how do I live with this attraction? Some of us struggle with this. People we like, that we love, we care about, they struggle with this. And in this struggle, I know it's real. It's not made up. Real struggle. But I believe that God will help you. How many of you all believe that? Some of us have to live celibate lives. And boundaries to our appetites are possible and good and right. And our Savior gives us the strength to do so. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, in verse number 3, for this is God's will, your sanctification that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. Wow. God will help us in this struggle. Thirdly, God gave them over to depraved minds. Notice in verse number 28, and it says, they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God. God delivered them over to a corrupt, depraved mind. They do what is not right. Notice in verse 29, they're filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They're 21. He says their mind is so corrupted and depraved and blinded that they live in a way that's not right and they're filled with unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. There's 21 of these vices, these words that are here. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, Proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. It's like a triad of seven. They're filled up with all of this wickedness and unrighteousness. And these words here, we don't have time to unpack every one of these words. Some of you said, Amen, praise God. But let's look at a few of them. They have to do with our relationship with each other. They're hurtful relationships. They're anti, I want you to mark this down. They're anti-social behaviors. They're behaviors that kill community. Unrighteousness means not righteous, means opposed to God's law and God's way and who God is. Evil, the word pornea, it's a general term of badness, vicious acts. Greed. 
It's covetousness is what it is. It's wickedness. He says that's depravity and a maliciousness that is in us. These are, central, these are general kind of ways that this fallenness shows itself. And, and it's hurtful in our interpersonal relationships. Notice what it says in, in verse number 29 in the middle of the verse. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. The envy it has it's beyond greed to a jealous, seething envy against what others have. You want. You'll do anything to get. It goes from envy to murder. Isn't that very similar to the first murder we see in God's word? I want what I want more than I want you to live. Then quarrels or strife, infighting. Then there's deceit, lying, then malice. How to harm somebody else. This is the way the sin goes. It's it's downward, downward, downward spiral. You give, you exchange the truth for a lie. You exchange God's rightful place for idols. You make these immoral exchanges in your life and it results in a downward spiral and a searing of your own consciousness and your mind. And then there's these sins of pride. They're gossips. Slanderers, God-haters. That seems odd, God-haters. What does it mean? You hate the people made in God's image, you hate God himself. Some of you, better be careful, you go around, I just hate them, I just hate that person. I just hate these kinds of people. What? You must hate God too. Arrogant, prideful, proud, boastful, inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. This is all pride. This is what sin does. It's senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. That's the way they act toward one another. Let me just say something. If there is one word that is overused in our culture, it's the word community. One of the words often used and misused is community. And we ascribe to sinful communities, sinful lifestyles, the word community. And I think that is wrong to do so. Because these acts lead to a destruction of community. I understand the idea of something that we hold in common or a common kind of thing that we're going through. But communion has to do with fellowship together. Love for one another. Care for one another. Encouraging one another. And sin destroys community. Doesn't build it. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 2, says you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. 
we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. Sin destroys us. You say, well, I get more community, I get more support out of others who are in the same lifestyle, of course. This is what Paul says in Romans. He says this is another indication of the pervasive way and the downward spiral and the darkening of our mind. Verse 32, although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, when we live in rebellion against God, we deserve death. They not only do them, but they applaud others who practice them. Isn't that the culture today? We look at sin and we say, that's good. That's not a bad thing. And then we applaud those that are living in that sin. What makes you feel better if you're in the same sin? We never celebrate sin. They solicit support of others in their insurrection and their rebellion. Thirdly, today you say, Pastor, do you have any good news today? Yes, in the same passage that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 2, notice verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You were saved by grace. Thank you, Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 3 that we've all sinned. Don't you be judgmental. That's where we're going to get to next week. The moralist and the judgmental, those that look at others and judge them with condemnation, they have the same sin in their heart. And the Jews that have the law have the same sin in their heart. And in Romans chapter 3, Paul says, we're all shut up under sin. What then? Are we better off? Chapter 3, verse 9. Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it's written, there's no one righteous. No, not even one. Verse 21 Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. believe there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Listen, we're all sinners and we all need God's grace. We all need saving. Amen? Romans chapter 5. God proves his own love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, 
will be saved by his life. Hallelujah. You say, Brother Tim, is there hope for me? Yes, there is. For all of us. Hallelujah. We're all sinners. I've done this a million times in this church. How many of you are sinners? Raise your hand. The rest of you just lying. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all are condemned. And all of us are hopeless and none of us can save ourselves. So you say to me, Pastor Tim, what is our attitude about some of these that God has described as have given them over to these things? What is our attitude to those who are confused, to those who are lost, to those who are depraved and blinded? First of all, let's love them. Amen? Not... There should never, I want you to listen to me, there should never come across your lips toward somebody else. Hurtful, demeaning remarks. Demeaning slurs. Bigoted jabs. That is not right. And it's not godly. It's hurtful. Secondly, pray for them. See yourself in the same condition without Jesus Christ. And talk with them about the gospel. We are not going to march in pride parades. We will not advocate for them in their sin. We will not coddle sin. But we will not condemn but humbly, lovingly point to the one who can save you out of your desperate state of sin. There's an old song I grew up singing as a kid. I will not sing it to you today. And everybody said, I might sing it for John. That'd be after church. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep for the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty, Save down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter. Feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by loving hand, wakened with kindness, cords that were broken will vibrate once more. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. 
Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. This is good news, amen? At the end of this month, we'll begin the season of Advent. And Advent is all about the coming of Jesus and preparing our hearts for the Christmas season. The abyss of iniquity in which the human race is plunged is also an amazing enlargement of God's amazing love. Because God came down to the stench and lostness and degeneracy of man. He came to our lostness and our depravity and he came to a young Jewish girl named Mary. Mary too was born in sin. Mary too was a sinner. Mary too was shaped in sin. Mary is in heaven today, not because Mary was sinless, but because Jesus Christ died for her sins. And in that song, the Magnificat, which we're going to sing and study in Advent season this year, Mary makes this statement. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced. In God, my Savior. Mary needed a Savior too. And God chose Mary. God begat His Spirit in Mary, and the life of God was born in her womb. And through the incarnation and the death of Jesus, her Son, and God's Son, He opened the way for man to God. No matter how far away you've gone, this is what God can do for you. He can open your eyes. He can cause you to be born again. His Spirit can quicken and enliven you. His life can come to dwell in you. And you can be saved by the mighty grace of God. Because He died for all of your sins and he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And we are all saved by grace. Not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. Not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. So we're all saved by grace. Finally, all of our sins have been washed away. Peter said, listen, Peter said, Peter said, repent therefore and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. Seasons of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's a good word, isn't it? I'm telling you, I don't know how far you may feel like you've gone. You say, Brother Tim, you're reading this passage, and it's me. It's me I see in this text. I understand. Me too. When I read this text, it's not like I feel like condemnation toward other people or a group of people. I read it and I see me without Jesus. I'm going to read a verse and I want you to listen to it. Listen closely. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now listen. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, nor thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Brother Tim, that's hard. I'm not done. Verse 11. And some of you used to be like this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All of our sin have been taken care of in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want Thee forever to ransom my soul. Break down every idol. Cast down every foe. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord Jesus, for this I must humbly entreat. I wait, blessed Lord, at thy crucified feet. By faith for my cleansing, I see thy blood flow. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. Yes, whiter than snow. Lord, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Father in heaven, I pray that today as we've walked through this text, that, Father, we might understand that sin destroys us. Father, I pray that today we might repent, come back to you, and find forgiveness and healing and cleansing. It's in Jesus' name I pray.